You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. We're still talking Sixers on Best in the World Sports Report. What's going on? My name is John Brown. Once again, you can hit me up anytime, anyplace on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at BITW Sports. I'm there all the time. You hit me up, I will hit you back. All right? Plain and simple. You talk to me, I will talk to you. We are talking right now about what's been going on with the Sixers this week. Um, when I first reached out to our next guest, I talked to him, I believe it was on maybe Monday or Tuesday, thinking that I would talk to him on Thursday. We'd be talking about the trade deadline and where Jaleel Okafor would be now, where would he be playing, whether it be in New Orleans, whether it be in Chicago, whether it be in Indiana. Come to find out, as the week went on, Jaleel Okafor is still a sixer. He'll be a sixer till the end of the season, at least, if not longer. But Nerlens Noel is now a da- is now a Dallas Maverick. So here to talk about that and a lot more is our guest this week, coming to you live and direct from DerekBodner.com. The man himself, Mr. Derek Bodner. What's going on, sir? Not much. Doing well. All right. Well, look, you were at the press conference on Friday when Brian Colangelo came out and he spoke to the media. Now, like I like I just said, you I guess when the week started, you kind of you knew that the Sixers were probably going to make a move at the Thursday deadline. But when you got there to the press conference this week, you got a little bit more than you originally bargained for. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's for sure. So. I mean. Oh, it's okay. No, you go ahead. So, I mean, basically, I mean, we thought we were going to talk trade. He comes out, he talks. Not only does he talk trade, but he talks Simmons and he talks Embiid. So, just, uh, you know, just give me your overview of what happened in that Friday press conference. Yeah, well, I think everything that's happened over the last few de- few days has been kind of surprising. Because I think we all went in the trade deadline expecting Jaleel Okafor to be traded. Nerlens Noel probably just still be here because you hadn't heard any real rumors about him. And hopefully some good news about Ben Simmons. I remember at one point, the Sixers raised the ticket price for the January 24th game against Washington. And there was a lot of speculation because that was the first day back from the All-Star break that, that could, they could know in advance that that's going to be Ben Simmons' debut. And it turns out that not only is it not going to be – and, I mean, they told us a week or two ago that he wasn't going to debut after the All-Star break. But not only is it, is it not, but he leads off the press conference with the news that Ben Simmons is out for the year, that there wasn't – the foot wasn't fully healed in the last scan they had on Thursday. And that he is, because they're at this point essentially running out of time, that he is going to be out for the year. So the press conference kind of got derailed. I think everybody goes in there expecting to talk about the Nerlens Noel trade, a little bit about the Ursan Eliasova trade, maybe Ben or Joel Embiid's comments that he wasn't necessarily thrilled with the fact that they didn't give the media timeline. And then you get that news about Ben Simmons. And it was initially reported by John Barchard of WIP, the previous night, so you kind of had an idea that there was going to be an update. We certainly all knew that he was going to have that scan on Thursday, 
but for it to come out that he isn't going to play this year, you know, the, the, what is it? The fourth year in a row that a, a prominent Sixers young player has not played from Nerlens Noel to Joel Embiid to Joel Embiid to Ben Simmons. That kind of took over the press conference. I will give him this amount of credit because he's had so much transparency issues in the past couple of weeks. He came out from the jump, said Ben is done for the year. He, they came out the other day and said that Joel Embiid is going to miss the four games, you know, the next four games and then be reevaluated. So I think, and he, he commented multiple times during the press conference that, you know, maybe they should have handled that differently. In fact, at one point he caught himself, took out the maybe and said he should have handled that differently. So maybe there he's actually seeing that that was a misstep and it's a little too, little too late, but at least now you have some clarity, even if it's bad clarity about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid uh, over the rest of the season. So given what, what he said and get, I guess he, you know, he's kind of, kind of taking like a mea culpa over how he's handled things in the past, but, now with Embiid, who's now pretty much become the only hope for this team this season, since we yeah. now know Simmons is not coming back, do you believe? Do you believe him when he says they they think he'll be back on March uh, March third? I mean, that's a great question. On the one hand, yes, I don't think this injury is necessarily all that serious right now. I think they want to get some real practice time in there because they didn't do a whole lot over the break. I think they want to get some real practice time in there and see how the, the knee reacts. But on the other hand, if you would have asked me 10 days ago, whether he would play the first game after the all-star break, I would have said yes too. And I think the fact that we've gotten so few updates and the updates have been not only inconsistent, but you know, not very revealing in nature. And just the fact that this is now lingering you know, he initially injured it on January 20th. He tried to play again on January 27th. We're now five weeks past the initial injury, and he's still having some complications in it. Am I going to do I have any real confidence that he's going to play after, you know, March 3rd or whenever that date is? No, I can't necessarily say that I, I do. Uh, I do think he is going to play this year. I think he certainly wants to play. I don't think this is a situation. A lot of people speculate that maybe the Sixers are keeping him out so they can lose games and try to tank. I don't think Joel Embiid is going to go along with that for one second. I think, I think they're really just being cautious with the injury. But do I necessarily trust them that they're giving us, the fans, us, the media, and by proxy, the fans, all the necessary information? No, I don't. So there's kind of there was a question I, I had thought about asking you, and I kind of went back and forth in my mind about asking you because I've seen it floated around on Twitter a little bit. Um. Given, I guess, the way the Sixers have pretty much handled injuries throughout, I guess, throughout this period that we've called the process in the last, you know, four to five years since leadership, you know, front office leadership and ownership has changed hands. You know, sure. we've we've had these, we've had kind of had these issues, we've, one after another. We've had rookies miss time, rookies with injuries, with setbacks. At what point do you think, I mean, fans are really starting to point the finger at the Sixers medical staff. Do you think that's valid? Do you think that's, is that, is that fair, you know, to, to really look at that right now to say, Hey, what's going on with this medical staff that not, you know, you're ha you have Joel 
Embiid, who had what we thought was supposed to be a year-long injury, now take two years. You have a broken foot on Ben Simmons that we thought should be healed by January that here it is now almost March and it's not healed. At what point do we start looking at this medical staff and say, hey, are you guys doing something wrong? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fair question. I certainly don't think I'm in a position where I'm going to go there. They have changed a lot of their medical staff over the years, so I don't think there's quite as much commonality as, as maybe most people assume. Uh, but, I mean, you're right. You can go back. You look at even Andrew Bynum. I think his injury initially was a bone bruise in October that was supposed to keep him out two to three weeks. And you just didn't get a whole lot of updates then until he was ruled out in December or January or, or whenever that was. So you have all of these things that you're talking And a lot of it is caution. Like I think, I think Noel, well, his rookie season, that was cautious. That was being cautious. Uh, Joel Embiid, I think is complicated because, you know, I think it's very telling that the surgeon they chose to perform the second surgery isn't the same as the, and he was in a room, but the lead surgeon was different on his second surgery. And I think you can, you can probably read into that. You know, I think it's, it's, you have to remember that the first surgery that Joel Embiid got, that was before he was drafted. So the Sixers had absolutely zero say in that, that surgery. It's a, it's a fair question. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not willing to go there because I do think there's been a lot of turnover. I do think that these are very different situations, but I 100% understand why that question is asked by fans. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been, it's been a very, I mean, I think part of it is that they've just, they haven't really shied away and this doesn't really apply to Ben Simmons, but it, it does to Embiid and Noel and even to Andrew Bynum. They haven't shied, shied away from injury-prone prone guys. So I think it's a part of it is, is just a willingness to gamble and take risks as well. Well, I, I, mean, I think it's, you know, I guess it's high risk, high reward. You know, exactly. they, they, this team has a plan, whether, you know, whether we agree with it or not, whether we think a lot of it or not. You know, this team has a plan. They have a long-term plan. So I think they've brought in, you know, they bring in these players who might have, you know, who might have injuries and with the hopes that as they take the time to recover, they'll develop some role players. They'll develop some, you know, some pieces to put around them. And when they come back, you know, you have a team. You have a you you have a team ready to go. And I think, you know, for for the most part, I maybe this season you're starting to see a little bit of fruit from all that labor. You know, you see the emergence of a T.J. McConnell. You see uh, the defensive prowess of a, a Robert Covington. And so you start you're starting to see. And you know, uh, Jer you know Jeremy Grant was another guy that really had kind of blossomed. But what you were able to get for him when you moved him. You know, you were able to bring in an Ersan Ilyasova, who was a much better piece. So, I mean, I, I guess you know, I, I mean, I, that that I I understand, but I think fans are. I mean, would you agree that fans are, fans are a little frustrated with the fact that you know this is this is all predicated on stars, star players being star players and you, you're sitting down and the first piece of this puzzle had always been Nerlens Noel. You just shipped him off. You're now saying the, the latest piece of this puzzle, Ben Simmons will not be here all season. And the 
at this point, the biggest piece of this puzzle being Joel Embiid is hurt and he won't be, he's been gone for a few weeks. He'll be gone for a few more. And, (laughs) but we're, you know, but we're going to raise these ticket prices too. But I, I guess at this point, I mean, what, what are, what, what should fans think? What, what, what should fans make of what's going on with this team right now? Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's it's a great question. I I think what I would say is that nothing has really changed. You you go back to late January before Joel Embiid landed awkwardly on a drive to the basket, and you look at all the reasons for optimism that you had there. The ten and five January record, I believe it was, the emergence of Joel Embiid into a real legitimate superstar when he's on the court, the hopeful return of Ben Simmons the draft picks that they still had coming forward in the future, in the the both short and near-term future, by and large, those are all still there. It's frustrating because this nagging injury Joel Embiid has has gone from day to day to week to week to, you know, a real nagging thing. But I still think ultimately it's not a very big long-term concern. The Ben Simmons situation is a little bit cloudier because we don't know exactly, even though they announced that he's not going to be playing this year they haven't really addressed why he won't be playing like it's one thing for him not to make enough progress and they said that he's going to be scheduled for another scan in a month so it doesn't sound like they're ready to say he needs any more surgery to correct his foot but you also just don't really have a whole lot of detail on what didn't progress as expected so I think there's reason for some concern there but I still think ultimately that the sheer amount of talent, of high-level talent, and high-level prospects is still there. It's just understandably very difficult to focus on that when everything in the here and now has been as frustrating as it is. So given what what you just said about Ben Simmons, and let's get back to him, are you are you shocked that with that news that he wouldn't be playing this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty shocked that the foot wasn't healed. You know, here's here's the way it was that that Ben, uh, that Brian Colangelo described it. Leading up, he had a, a CT scan in late January. I think it was January 21st, something around there. And leading up to that, he described that on Comcast Sportsnet as hopefully, well, actually, he described it as the final scan. And he clarified today that what he meant was hopefully the final scan. So they get that scan. The team says the scan was all clear. Then within, you know, after that, they schedule a follow-up scan in February. That happened, you know, on Thursday, on Thursday the 23rd. Well, clearly, if the hope was that that was going to be the final scan, you had that the CT scan, and then you had to schedule another follow-up scan. Something caused you to schedule that that unexpected follow-up. And... What surprises me about this is that we're now learning that there isn't that foot isn't fully healed when they 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 had to have known during that scan in January. So what I'm surprised at is a that it's it's you know we're sitting here what he had in October so November December January February almost to March we're almost five months into this recovery the foot isn't fully healed we don't have any real information any real detail on what's not healed about it. And he went a couple of weeks knowing that the foot wasn't really healed and we didn't really find out about it. It's been a, it has been, that situation to me has been, if I were a fan, I would be very frustrated by it. It is, it is very frustrating because I, I think as fans, 
we felt like part of the, part of the reason there was this change in the front office, part of the reason why yeah. they decided to get away from Sam Hankey and move in an opera, you know, move in a different direction was the fact that they felt like people felt like Sam Hankey wasn't forthcoming enough about what was going on. He was somebody, you, you know, you, as fans, you rarely see, you, you know, you, he rarely spoke. I think he got a, he took a lot of flack for having Brett Brown answer all of the questions when Jaleel Okafor was out in the streets fighting people. Um, and I think maybe that might, that incident in, in itself might have been, you know, the overall catalyst for, you know, making a change. But with, given all that, given the frustrations we had with the previous GM, over not being forthcoming and now how they've handled Ben Simmons, how they've handled Joel Embiid, even with Joel Embiid now criticizing uh, decisions that the team has made. Like, like has things really gotten better? I, I mean, I, that was, I mean, I, that's oh. what some I, I thought was supposed to happen with this new regime. No, they haven't really gotten better. Here's, here's, here's what I'll say to that. Right when Brian Colangelo was hired, somebody, somebody around the league told me, you know, Brian's got a really great reputation. And I thought, well, that's good. You know, a, a good, strong reputation is good to have. And he goes, no, you're not understanding me. In order to get a reputation that good, he has to really work at it. And the difference between Brian Colangelo and Sam Hinkie isn't their willingness to divulge information. The difference between Brian Colangelo and Sam Hinkie is that Brian Colangelo is far more willing to campaign for himself and control the narrative about himself so that he can then get the benefit of the doubt, you know, in future situations. Whereas Sam Hinkie just said, look, I'm not going to talk to you. It could give other teams a competitive advantage. I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet because then it can't be used against me. And ultimately if I get great players and we win, it's not going to matter. So I think the big difference between Brian Colangelo and Sam Hinkie isn't how frequently they talk isn't how willing they are to divulge information isn't how truthful they are it's how much brian is willing to really sell himself as a communicator but in the but i guess in the end doesn't that come back to bite him when what he's been huh? communicating <laughs> what he's been communicating has, right yeah it's, it's, it it yeah. doesn't jibe so you know like at, at one point you know as fans we're now sitting here faced with the decision like what was better Sam Hinkey not telling us anything or Brian Colangelo telling us anything which is which, yeah. which, which is pretty much what's what's been happening now right yeah and I mean I think if you listen around Philadelphia right now you're going to find a lot of a lot of people who are very frustrated with Brian Colangelo for just that reason that you mentioned and, and I, I think so was it me? I, I guess I felt like in the press conference, he did a lot of passing the buck. It, it's like, yeah. like I, I, I understand it was a little, you know, he there, there was a sense of, you know, he was taking a, a mea culpa, but it was still like, okay, we made, we've made some mistakes, but this wasn't all my fault. This wasn't all my doing. Did you, did you sense that today? He, well, he, he was very much like that today, and look, he, he took some blame for not not being upfront with some information and some timelines, but by and large, the return that he got and the situation that he was quote unquote put in were very much still, you know, he was very desirous to mention repeatedly how difficult of a situation 
he was put in in terms of getting value for his front court log jam. He did the same thing in December when he spoke. Uh, he had that kind of impromptu press conference because Nerlens Noel had spoken out about not getting enough playing time. And he was very, very quick and very willing to deflect blame there as well. He, I think that is a, a very fair characterization of, of how Colangelo goes about this. So let's get in. Let's get into it a little bit more about about this deal, which was, which was what we thought was going to be the folk, you know, the focus point of this press conference. But you know, we kind of got thrown for a loop when he threw in the the Simmons and the Embiid, the Embiid move. Nerlens Noel is gone. We get, we get back Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and a top eighteen prote- uh, protected pick. Which will more than likely, unless the you know Dallas just has the the epic runs of all epic runs, will probably end up being uh, two second round picks. Uh, first up, will we ever see Andrew Bogut in a Sixers uniform? No, no. <laughs> I like this. It's just, it's just not at all. You're... No, I mean there's there's almost no shot. No, I don't think Andrew Bogut wants to be here. I think mm-hmm. he wants to go play on a contender. And I don't think the Sixers have all that much. I mean, he was Andrew Bogut served a purpose in that Dallas was able to move his contract, and the Sixers were able to reach a salary cap floor, and that's why Andrew Bogut was in that deal. So, so give so given that you 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 realize that Bogut's not going to play here, you're going to get probably end up getting two second round picks, and then you have Justin Anderson. So, my question to you is, given Given uh, you know, we've had about had about thirty six hours now to to really think about what's happened. Do you think this trade is enough? Do, do you think what they got back for Nerlens Noel is enough? Well, let's just let's just focus on that quote unquote first round pick, that what I'll call a fake first round pick, that top eighteen protected first round pick, because it ties in very nicely to what we were just talking about, how Colangelo is, you know, very desirous to control the narrative about himself. So it's a top 18 protected pick. Right now, Dallas has the seventh worst record in the NBA. So Dallas is going to have to jump 12 teams, make up a grand total of nine and a half games with 25 games remaining. They would have to play pretty much perfect basketball. Like not like perfect. Like, Oh, the Warriors are 72 and 10. They're pretty much perfect. Like, no, they would have to go like 25 and one to close out the season. And it's a, it's a one-year conveyance window, which means if it doesn't convey in 2018 or in 2017, excuse me, it becomes a 2017 and a 2020 first round or second round picks. So if there's only one possible year you can get that first round pick, it has to be this year where you only have 25 games left. And there's approximately a 0.1% chance of that happening. So then you go, okay, well, why would, why would you even, because I think when that first uh, pick first was announced, okay, it's top 18 protected, you're not getting it this year but the protections are then going to lessen until you will eventually get it. But it's not. So you ask yourself, why would, why would Colangelo even target a first round draft pick that has to convey this year and has almost no shot of doing so. And it's entirely about perception and PR and optics. He got on every, everyone who wrote about this included in the headline. Every time that ticker went across CSN Philly, every time WIP did an update. They said that the Sixers got Justin Anderson and a first round pick for Nerlens Noel. 
it's purely about optics. It's about making this trade look more palatable than it actually is. And these are the games that Brian Colangelo plays. So it's, you know, going back to your original question, is this enough? No, of course it's not enough. So everyone I talk to around the league will say, and, and Brian Colangelo, one of the things he did started to do really in December was say that because Joel Embiid was injured, because Jaleel Okafor had that surgery at the end of the year on his meniscus, and because Nerlens Noel eventually got a, a, an injury in uh, before training camp, he didn't have the opportunity to trade any of these guys. He didn't get a chance to see these guys play together, to see up front in person what he had in them. So he really couldn't trade them. Well, yes, he could. He was shopping them throughout the summer. And everyone I talked to around the NBA says, first of all, yes, he was accepting offers, talking about them, trying to get one of them moved. He said that himself on interviews. But B, what they also say is that he was completely unrealistic in what his asking price was. And he priced himself right out of the market. So you end up at the trade deadline where everybody knows that, you know, those guys aren't ultimately happy. Like both Okafor and Noel long-term, they want to be a starter. Noel probably a little more pressing because he has a, a contract coming up in a couple of months, but they know they're not happy. They know Brian Colangelo wants to, you know, spread out the talent on the roster. And they know that they don't have to give up what, what it would really cost. So you end up with Justin Anderson and a pair of second round picks for, you know, a player that you could have gotten more from in the off season. It was a, it was a bad trade. It was, you know, I think Brian Colangelo very clearly did not have any interest in bringing Noel back over the summer in restricted free agency. And he took, you know, the best offer he could get at the wrong, basically he traded, in my opinion, the wrong guy at the wrong time, and then took the best offer that was available at that wrong time talking to Derek Bodner of DerekBodner.com, dropping some knowledge about this trade for Nerlens Noel. As we all know, Nerlens is now in Dallas. I don't know if he's loving life because Dallas isn't that much better than the Sixers, but he's not here. He'll, pro- he'll, he'll be a starter, but alas, he's gone. So given what you thought of this deal, um, there are plenty of fans plenty of people who say Colangelo just he just screwed this up uh, would you say that are they, are they right to think that yeah I think they're right. well, look here here's what I'll say this was not an easy situation for Colangelo to walk into and I think he handled it poorly and I think both of those can be correct like I think a lot of people say oh well you know it's the Hinky's fault he 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 drafted three centers Colangelo inherited this mess sure that's true but I also think there were better ways for Colangelo to navigate the situation. And so in that regard, yes, I do think he failed. So when I, when I look at this deal, when I, I think as a fan, I, I got, I really much put it in my mind that I knew what they got in return might on the surface be less than what they were giving away. Now I didn't, I didn't imagine this deal, but I still thought that, you know what, I, I I was I was prepared to be at least on the surface disappointed. But in my mind, I guess and it's something that I've kinda I've said on this podcast uh a couple of times, my, my reference point had always been the Jerry Stackhouse deal from, you know, a few years back. Whereas like at the time you thought Jerry Stackhouse was going to be a budding superstar. 
And when they traded him, what they got back wasn't necessarily a superstar, but you got back players that ended up being key cogs in that team moving forward. You know, you, 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 you didn't get the star power of a Jerry Stackhouse, but what you got back in return was Aaron McKee, who went on to be sixth man of the year. And you got Theo Ratliff, who was your starting center up until your starting center that you were able to keep up until you were able to trade him for Dikembe Mutombo. So for me, right. the starting center who got you to 44 and 14 or whatever they were at one point. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess for me, I'm now looking at what is going to be at this point, the only player in this deal who we will see in a Sixers uniform this year, Justin Anderson. And, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people, you know, I've heard people's review of him, and I know you did. Uh, you did a review of, uh, of him in the past. Like, what kind of player is he? What What are we getting back? Do you, and is, is he a player that you could see being a, a long term cog? You know, in this for this team, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's he's interesting because he has a lot of defensive tools. Like he has, he stands six six with a really strong, sturdy frame, and he has a 6'11 wingspan. So he, even though he's 6'6", he plays more like 6'7", 6'8". He has a tenacity on the defensive side of the court. He can you know, really explode and block shots. He has quick hands, and he can force turnovers. He's not all that quick moving laterally. Like He can get beat off the dribble, and he tends to overhelp and sag off his man and get out of position because of that. But he has he has tools to work with defensively that he can really you know he can become a, a a good defender in the NBA. He certainly has that within him. The question with him, you know, he's not much of a ball handler. He can make cuts off the ball because he he is athletic. He can finish around the rim, but he's not going to create off the dribble. You're not going to put him in a pick and roll. What you need is for him. You need to be able to put him in a corner and say you have to make open shots. When Joel Embiid goes running down the lane off a pick and roll, you need to make the defense pay if they then sag off of you to go help. If Ben Simmons is handling the ball in the pick and roll, you need to make them pay if they're going to double off of him and try to play the lanes. And for his first two years at Virginia, he shot the ball poorly. I want to say upper 20s. And then he had a really good junior season his last year at Virginia where he shot like 45% from three. And you wondered which was, which was the real Justin Anderson. Was it the first two years where he struggled mightily? Or was it the third year where he completely turned his, his perimeter shooting around? And did he take enough attempts in that third year to cancel out the first two to the point where you were confident this was a new Justin Anderson? And since coming in the NBA, I think he's shooting again about 28% in the NBA from three. He has a, a long, deliberate release that is tough to get off. Like I think he, he finds it tough to get real space to get the shot off in the NBA because guys can recover so much quicker and he just hasn't been able to find NBA three point range yet. That is a crucial, crucial key for him. If he is not making shots, then he is going to hurt you in the half court. Man, what do we do? What? I'm not saying he's a starter. If that, if you were looking for that, then no, no, you know, no. If, he, if a lot of people will go to the guys who develop perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, like Jay Crowder, you could, you could make a comparison to, Justin Anderson and Jay Crowder early career. Well, 
that's great when you put a Jay Crowder name on it, but those those kind of guys who make that kind of leap are so few and far between mm-hmm. that you're probably looking at a much a much lesser outcome. Yeah, uh, but he certainly like there is a world where he could develop into a starter. I'm just not. I think it's probably more likely that he ends up being kind of like a sixth, seventh guy off the bench who you bring in to to slow an offensive player down for a little bit. Okay, so so basically, I guess like for me. I'm looking for some of these younger players to kind of push, to push out those those those, those placeholders of the process. You know, if if Robert Covington isn't long for this for a Sixers world, and in a world where you you say goodbye to him and TLC kind of assumes his his position in the ro- in the rotation, could a Justin Anderson then be what TLC was? coming off the bench. Could he at least be that? Yeah. I I think I think he can step in and play minutes now. Mm-hmm. I, I would I, I would agree with that. Because his defense is even if it's not that consistent, like I think right now people are going to expect a stopper and, and some of those things I mentioned both in terms of lateral foot speed and, and kind of getting lost off lost off the ball, I think those are the kind of things where if you were let's say the Cleveland Cavaliers and you needed somebody to step in and contribute right away on a on a good playoff team he probably doesn't do that because that impacts his overall effectiveness. But I think, I think Brett Brown will let him play through his mistakes and hope that that experience can help him learn and maybe develop quicker. I think you're going to see him get minutes right off the bat. I do think he's going to do enough defensively in transition to give you hope, but the offensive side of the ball and the consistency are going to be questions. All right. Well, that's who we got back when we traded one of our bigs, Nerlens Noel, to Dallas. Uh, one, which leaves two bigs, one hurt, one somewhat healthy, and that's Jaleel Okafor. We all we all thought he would be the guy who was traded at the deadline, yet he's still here. My question to you is: Was the, had the market really dried up that much for Jaleel Okafor? Was it really that bad? Yeah, I, I think the market was pretty bad. I think what really hurt was when DeMarcus Cousins went to New Orleans. And it hurt in part because the market for big men kind of got set. But it hurt even more because one of your real suitors and one of the teams really interested in Okafor was now off the market because they acquired because they acquired um, Cousins. So I think at that point, there just weren't very many interested teams. I think or at least teams that were interested to the point where they would give up a first round pick for him. So I think, you know, I think, I think the market dried up quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many teams right now who Okafor just doesn't fit their style of play that you wonder how much you're going to be able to really drive that interest back up. He's certainly going to get playing time now, especially over these next four games with Embiid out and Noel traded, you know, he he could play 30 minutes a night now. We'll see if maybe that will get him back into the minds of general managers around the league, but I'm, um, you know, I'm concerned that you're not going to see that 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 value really driven up over the next couple months. So, so with all that, I mean, you you talk about this dry market, but I was hearing names like Chicago. I was hearing names like Indiana. In addition to New Orleans, how come how come they weren't able to make a deal with either of those teams? I mean, I, I think their asking price was was probably more than it it, it should have been. Uh, I think Brian Colangelo, 
I don't think he would have taken the same offer that he did for Nerlens Noel. I think he wanted more than that. I think he, I think he believes that he can rehabilitate Jaleel Okafor's trade value and get more for that later. So I think his asking price was higher. And while there might have been some teams that were interested in having discussions, I don't think any of them were really all that close outside of Chicago at one point or Portland at one point. I mean, before they made the, uh, before they made the the Yusuf Nurkic trade. I don't think anybody really offered anything that was compelling enough for something to get really close. So given all that, now we're in the situation that we're in now, where Nerlens is gone, and Nerlens had played good ball, played his way back into really the good graces of this fan base. He's gone. Jalil, oh, excuse me, Joel Embiid, who has pretty much owned this city since he's been playing, since he's gotten on the court, is now hurt. You have Jalil Okafor, who, right or wrong, fair or unfair, has kind of been, his name has kind of been like synonymous with, I guess, the old losing mentality. And you have a game where you won't see Ben Simmons. You won't see uh, Joel Embiid. Nerlens is gone, and you have Jaleel Okafor starting. He's going to get booed out of the building. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's, 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 that is my fear. And, I, and for me, like, I, I understand the criticisms that people have for Jaleel Okafor, but I don't, think, I don't think it's fair. I think a lot of people in this city have given up on this man, and the reality still – the reality remains that this guy's 22 years old after one year of college and played 91 total games in his career, but people have, have just pretty much written him off, and I don't think that's fair. But nonetheless, you now are going to trot him out against the Wizards, and the reception's not going to be good. And for Colangelo, that can't, I mean, what is he thinking when he sees all this? Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. The reception is going to be, um, you know, pretty bad. And it's going to be a lot of frustration. It's going to be frustration because all of which Okafor has almost no control control over, but frustration over the Simmons news, over the Embiid news, over the way the team has handled the Embiid and Simmons news, over a trade that pretty much everybody, whether you like Noel or not, is extremely underwhelmed with. And for a guy that right now has fallen out of favor in Okafor at this point, has fallen out of favor of the Philadelphia area. So he's going to come out, be announced as a starter. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the fans react to that. But I will give Okafor credit for this. He has handled this situation about as well as you could have hoped any, any 21 year old to handle this. Like he has not made a wrong statement. He has not said anything on social media to indicate his displeasure. You don't hear any reports coming out that were leaked from team or from the agent or from somebody close to Okafor to paint him in a bad light. He has handled this as well as you could hope. I think whatever happens to him tonight against Washington, he will continue to handle it well. And you just hope that all parties involved can make it through until, you know, until June when you have a chance to explore the market again. Because I do think, and Brian Colangelo is pretty direct about this, I do think they will eventually explore the market again for Okafor. I think he's going to be put in another really awkward situation because of that. 
And for a young man, he's he he's been put in a tough spot, but he's handled it well. All right, I I I do agree. I I think he has handled it very well, and I I respect him. He's you know I I'm disappointed that they weren't able to make it work, but I do agree with the notion that it's probably in the best interest of all parties involved to move him. So I, mean, I think I think long term he would like a chance to start. Yeah, and I think he knows he's not going to do that with Joel Embiid here. No, nah, not at all, not at all. And I, I think, and 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 rightfully so, rightfully so. But right. Right. given that, given that uh, they're going to move him, what would it say about Brian Colangelo if he is now forced to to sell low on Okafor and Nerlens Noel? Given all, you know, when when they move him, if he's put in a position where he has to sell low again, what does it say about him and his tenure? What would it say to the fans, in your opinion? Well, I think that's when you're really going to see people riot because right now he has a built-in excuse of, look, I had three big men; they all wanted to start. Nerlens Noel had been a problem in the media, voicing his displeasure from the moment training camp started. He reiterated that displeasure in in December. Everybody knew this wasn't a situation that could last long term. I had no chance to get value. Well, now you have Okafor, who's been a model citizen, who hasn't even said he wouldn't. You know, I, I think we all know he would like to start. And I think there's, it's natural speculation. But he hasn't come out and, and said, you know, this situation needs to be resolved on the start of the NBA. He's, he's, he's been good about that. So you could see a world where you would want a high-level backup for Joel Embiid, especially because of his minutes restrictions, especially because he's had so much missed time over the last couple of years, and they're going to be conservative going forward. You can at least present an argument that we're fine keeping Okafor because we, we, we need a backup who can play a significant amount of minutes. So his leverage should be better. His, you know, his, his bargaining position should be better. And I think, I think you're right. This will be more reflective. He pretty much acknowledged today that his asking price was higher. So I think this is the one where you can really hold him accountable. And if he doesn't get something approaching, look, you're not getting an equal value for the third overall pick in 2015, but you certainly have to do a heck of a lot better than you did for Nerlens Noel. And I think this is when, when fans are going to start learning quite a bit about Brian Colangelo. I hear you. Derek Bodner from DerekBodner.com just dropping some jewels this week on the best in the world sports report. Just dropping knowledge, man. Sometimes it's like you're answering these questions and you're talking to me and I'm just sitting back listening like like it's sports talk radio. Then I almost forget, oh yeah, I gotta say something right now. That's 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 where I am, because you just out here just dropping jewels. Hey, you're 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 doing something new with your website, DerekBodner.com. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with that website yeah well i've long had you know media is 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 tough especially as everyone moves to an ad-driven revenue model in order to make that viable you have to push a lot of traffic and i feel like you know especially as newspaper subscription models go away newspaper revenue goes away from subscription models for the print to being driven by ad revenue, it changes at a pretty fundamental level the way that we write. You have to, you have to be able to drive traffic. You have to appeal to the masses. You have to. It, it becomes much more about getting news out immediately when it happens, 
And I think it kind of creates a void of in-depth, you know, kind of, of breakdowns. Like if I go to, let's say I'm credentialed for tonight's game. I go down to the Wells Fargo Center. And then I want to come home, you know, take a deep dive into statistics, rewatch the game, do a video breakdown. And I spend, let's say I spend a solid six hours on a, a game recap. I'm never going to get a huge audience for that. Like it's never, I'm never going to drive enough traffic to make that a viable, a viable way to cover a game on an ad driven revenue model. So I think what I determined, even while I was still at Philadelphia magazine, my last, uh, my last writing gig, which I was at for, you know, about, I guess about two years at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even when I was sitting there, I was, I was thinking to myself as much freedom as I had, it would be great if I could just completely divorce myself from traffic as a means of making money because I want to, I want to explore different ways of covering the team. So I wanted to try to find a way where I could say, okay, look, I have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five, five thousand diehard fans. And rather than trying to write to the masses, I'm going to try to write to them. You know, can I get it to the point where those people are willing to pay a dollar, two dollars, three dollars a month so that you can have kind of the flexibility to make 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 that style of writing and appealing to a smaller but more dedicated diehard market feasible? And I think a lot of this type of writing still happens. Like you can go to ESPN.com and Zach Lowe. You can go to various other, you know, national outlets. But a lot of times that has to be subsidized by a big media company, like I said, ESPN, uh, something in, in, in that realm, NBC, MSNBC, yeah. um, Sports Illustrated. Like you need, you need that. Doing it locally is much more difficult. So I kind of wanted to try a subscription model. Uh, not all of it is behind a paywall of any sort. In fact, most of it is not. Mm-hmm. The only thing that there's a daily newsletter that subscribers get, uh, which is every morning, Monday through Friday, which has links to everything that's been written about the Sixers. It has updates on the Sixers draft picks, which can get pretty complicated to track. It has updates on potential lottery picks and who played last night and who's going to play tonight. And then it also has a mailbag question. So I take one question from the subscribers that they have about the team, and I try to go into a reasonable amount of depth with them, which is usually between about 700 and 1,000 words each morning. So I, I give that content to subscribers, and then there's one column a week that is for subscribers only. The rest of it is free. Uh, I do want to, you know, be able to reach an audience for most of my work while still hopefully adding value for the people who do end up subscribing. And it's, it's been pretty remarkable. I've gotten at this point about 1500 subscribers in just over a week of having it open. So I'm interested to see where it goes. I would love to be able to prove this as a viable model so that, you know, Eagles writers or Flyers writers or Phillies writers can kind of copy it. I think I saw Birds 24-7 at Philadelphia Magazine get closed, and it really opened my eyes to, look, they were doing tremendous stuff. Even, But even when Sheil and Tim were there, Sheil Kapadia and Tim McManus, they couldn't make that style of writing be economically viable. And if they can't do it with the level of output they were doing there, I just felt like something needed to change. And I was also at a spot where I could, I, I could try that. I could, I, could, I could take a little bit of a risk because I have a couple of other writing spots that haven't been announced yet, but that will soon that can still keep my profile up a little bit. So trying something new. We'll see if it works. So far it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I just wanted to try something new because, like I said, it was, it's tough to – I feel like there's a void in style of coverage because of the way an ad-driven model forces us to write. I hear you. And, you, and you're doing big things. I'm, I'm – 
fan, you know, I'm a fan of your work. Somebody, you know, you're somebody who I've, I've met, talked to in the past, you know, you, you do good work. So I'm, I, I, I really do hope this works out for you. You know, I do, you know, read your work, listen, uh, listen to your podcast. Uh, tell them real quick about, tell them real, real quick about that, your podcast. Yeah. So it's, it's called the Sixers beat. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google play, pretty much anything with an RSS feed. And it is a weekly Philadelphia 76ers podcast. I host it with myself, uh, Rich Hoffman of the Philly voice. Um, and then Max Rappaport and Kyle Newbeck of a, a blog called Liberty Ballers. And we every week just talk about the pressing topics of the day or of the week. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's been, it's allowed us to really cover the team and, and talk about the team. And I do think podcasting is a, it's a medium that's growing and it, it feels almost silly saying that in 2017, because we said that in 2012 and 2013, 14, 15 and 16 too, but it continues to grow. The audience continues to expand and it's a great way to consume information. And it, it, it's just a blast to do. I could, I could talk about basketball for, for way too long as you can see here. Hey, no, hey nothing wrong with that, man. We, we will all, we we will enjoy that, and you will all you always have an open invite to come get down with us, come talk to us on Best in the World. You know your open invitation, man. Come stop by anytime if whenever you want to talk basketball or anything else you want to talk about. All right, you know you're you're always welcome here, man. It was my pleasure. I appreciate it. All right, Derek. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Yep, take care. All right. Hey, that was Derek Bodner of DerekBodner.com. Make sure you stop by. You subscribe You subscribe to his website. Get that information. Dropping them jewels. Dropping straight jewels right here on the Best in the World Sports Report. You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. Listen to this show in its entirety every Saturday at 8 a.m. on the Philly Go Flow at phillygoflow.com. 